Good morning. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here this morning and share the word of God with you. Uh, greetings from my wife, Mai, and our two daughters, Eva and Eliana. They convey their, they, they convey their greetings uh, to you all. But also greetings from our church plant, Christ Christmas Church Planter. Uh, they also send their greetings. Uh, thank you so much for praying for us, but also supporting our work financially as well. Uh, the Lord is doing great things there, and we know that it's because of your prayers and support. Thank you so much. And this morning, I have a privilege to bring us God's Word, and the Lord would like to speak to us from the book of Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter number 1, uh, verses 12 up to verse 18a. Uh, Philippians chapter number 1, uh, verses 12 up to verse 18a. The word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. O men are like grass, the grass with us, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we now come to your word. What a privilege, Lord, you have given to a man as weak as myself, a sinner as well, saved by your grace that I can stand in front of your people and proclaim your word. Lord, we are reminded of that truth of Apostle Paul, that we have this treasure in jars of clay, that we might know that the surpassing worthiness is not from us, but from God himself. So we pray that, Lord, may you open our hearts, may you open our eyes and ears, so that we can receive, hear, and see what you have prepared for us in your word. And Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable before you, our God and Redeemer, in Christ Jesus. Amen. I believe that uh, many of us are familiar with that saying that says, the glass is either half full or half empty. And children, what this means is that if you pour water into a glass and fill it halfway, some are going to look at that glass and say it is half empty. And they say that these are called pessimists because they often see things in a negative way. But if you look at, at uh, that glass and see it as half full, you're said to be a, an optimist. People who see usually things in a positive way. And we see something similar to that proverb in here, this passage that we have read. Apostle Paul is in prison. It is a difficult time. What is his reaction to this difficult 
time. Now, I just want to give a, a brief background about the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. Apostle Paul, after planting a church in Philippi, he went to other cities like Thessalonica, Berea, and then finally settled in Ephesus. There he labored for two years and then decided to return to Jerusalem. But as he was returning to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit had told him that troubles were waiting for him in Jerusalem, that he would be arrested there in Jerusalem. But Paul was determined, so he went back to Jerusalem. And indeed it happened that one day when he was in the temple, there the Jews arrested him because of preaching the gospel. And they accused him of preaching falsehood. Now, they wanted Paul to get into greater trouble because at this time, Jerusalem is under the Roman authorities, so the Romans are controlling the city. And one thing that the Romans wanted was peace, Pax Romana. They wanted peace everywhere where they were. And they would not take riots sitting down. So they caused riots, hoping that the Romans would get angry and arrest Paul and put him in prison as one who disturbs the peace of Jerusalem. So indeed, one of, the co- one of the commanders of the Roman army came, called a tribunal, and took Paul into the barracks. And after asking Paul questions, he realized that Paul was innocent. He didn't break any law, but he didn't have the authority to release him. So he referred him to the Roman governor, Felix. So Paul went to Felix, and again, Felix, after questioning Paul, he found out that there was nothing that he had done wrong. He was supposed to, set, to be set free. But we read in Acts that Governor Felix wanted some money from Paul. He wanted a bribe. So he left Paul in prison until he retired. And then a new governor came, Governor Festus. And again, Governor Festus wanted to please the Jews. So he said, Paul, would you like to go back to Jerusalem so that we should try your case there? And Paul knew that he's not going to get a fair trial there. So he said, I'm going to appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen so that I should be tried by Caesar. And Festus said to Caesar, you have applied, you have appealed, and to Caesar, you shall go. So we find that towards the end of the book of Acts, Paul is sitting in a ship going to Rome. And as Acts is closing chapter 28, Paul is in prison in Rome under house arrest. And now, as these things are happening, the people at Philippi, which is the church that Paul planted, have heard that Paul has been arrested. They are so anxious. They want to hear from Paul. How are things with him? So they sent one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, to go with some financial support as well as things to encourage Paul. And he goes to Rome. And while there, Epaphroditus falls sick. So he's sick and he's not able to return on time to Philippi and give a report on how Paul is doing. The Philippians are so anxious. They are worried. They want to hear from their beloved apostle. But nothing is coming out from, from Rome. And then finally, Epaphroditus recovers and is able to return to Philippi with this letter that we have read part of it this morning. And you can imagine the people have gathered together in the church like this one. And Epaphroditus stands in front of them and begins to read the letter. Now, the people are so anxious to hear from Paul, but you notice that from beginning from verse 1 up to verse 11, Paul is talking about the Philippians. 
He's not talking about himself. So I can't imagine them waiting. So we'd like to hear about you, Paul. Thank you for what you're saying about us. Thank you that you thank the Lord for our support. You mention us in, in your prayers always, thanking the Lord for that. Thank you that you have that confidence that you know that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. Thank you, Paul, for that. I'd like to hear from you. And there you see in verse 12, Paul turns to himself now and begins to talk about himself. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, and we can add sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul has two choices. He can either respond by writing to say, I want you to know things are hard here. I don't have much freedom. Things are so bad. But Paul chooses the letter. And he thanks the Lord for what has happened to him. And he sees the good that the Lord is doing through his imprisonment. So this morning, with the help of the Lord, I would like us to reflect on our passage under the title, an imprisonment that advanced the gospel. An imprisonment that advanced the gospel, and we're going to look at two points. First, an inward advance, and second, an outward advance. An inward advance, and an outward advance. First, an inward advance. Please look at verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is doing great things and good things through my hard situation of imprisonment, in that God is using this imprisonment to advance the gospel, mainly inward, within the compound of Caesar. Paul is under house arrest at this time and is chained to a guard 24-7. And these guards were special guards of the emperor himself, Caesar. Uh, they are referred to as the imperial guard in our passage. The imperial guards, also known as the Paritonian guards, constituted 9,000 elite soldiers selected for their military skill and loyalty to serve the emperor's personal security force in the imperial Paris. So Paul is within the compound of Caesar and is chained to these soldiers day and night. Probably they're taking shifts morning to evening and then another evening to morning as well. But as, as Paul is chained there and we know who Paul is, I don't think Paul is just keeping silent. He's sharing the gospel with his soldiers. But also we know that Apostle Paul has, has a chance to meet visitors. People can visit him while in prison. And as visitors are coming to see Paul, and Paul is sharing and discussing the gospel with them, these soldiers have no choice but to hear the gospel. So the gospel is, is advancing within the compound. And he says the whole imperial guard has come to understand that my imprisonment is for Christ. That I'm here because of Jesus Christ. And most likely they're asking, who is this Jesus Christ? And Paul is finding this opportunity to begin to share the gospel with them. But also, later on, Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 22, is, as he's writing to the Philippians, he's going to say, the sense, or the sense, 
greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So somehow the gospel made its way even to the parish itself. Even in the household of Caesar, there were believers there. And many it was through an imprisonment of Apostle Paul. And come to think of it, if Paul had not been arrested and put in jail under house arrest in Rome, these men would not have heard the gospel. And probably even those in the household of Caesar, maybe they even shared the gospel with Caesar. Caesar had an opportunity to hear the gospel. What an opportunity and what a blessing that came disguised as a curse of imprisonment. Through the chains of imprisonment, Paul has a great opportunity to minister in the corridors of power in Rome. And as Paul sees this providence of God in all this, he says in verse 18, I rejoice. I rejoice. Not because prison life is easy, but because God is doing greater things through my imprisonment. And in our passage, we do not only see that the gospel is advancing inward, rather, but also it is advancing outward. The gospel advancing outward, an outward advance. And we see that in verses 14 to 18a. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. God did not only use Paul's imprisonment to advance the gospel within the Roman headquarters, but also outside the Roman headquarters. And in verse 14, Paul refers to other brothers who have become embodied or encouraged to preach the gospel without fear. Now, we do not know why these brothers were at first afraid to preach the gospel, but it could be that they were probably afraid of persecution. They were probably afraid of being put in prison, as Paul did. But now, after seeing that by God's grace, Paul remained steadfast, despite being put in prison for his faith, and after seeing what the Lord was doing through Apostle Paul, that the gospel was really advancing, was no longer changed. Even Paul was chained himself, but the gospel was not changed. It was advancing. And after seeing that, probably they were encouraged to say, we are going to do the same. We are going to preach the gospel, even if it means to go to prison. Now, notice that there were two groups of people who were preaching the gospel. The first group was that of those who preached because they loved Paul and understood that Paul was in prison for the defense of the gospel. As Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. They later do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. So these, these were doing, preaching the gospel out of goodwill because they loved Paul. And uh, Paul uses that as so to say, you, you notice that, that word, the defense of the gospel. 
that they, they understood that Paul was put there for the defense of the gospel. That's, that word, the defense of the gospel, that's in the Greek Bible, it's apologia, and that's where we get our word apologetics in English. And apologetics means defending the gospel against false teachers or those who hate Christianity. And Paul is saying, my imprisonment is being used as apologetics, that the Lord, through this imprisonment, has given me an opportunity to give a defense of the gospel. Now, the Romans didn't fully understand Christianity. Uh, their understanding was not that correct. Some understood uh, Christians as being cannibals because they said that when they meet for Holy Communion, they feed on the body of Christ and they drink the body of Christ. And they were said Christians are cannibals. But also, some understood uh, Christians as those who are rebellious, those who are causing treason in the, in the Roman Empire. Empire, because they understood, because Christians said, only Jesus is Lord. And by saying that, they did not recognize Caesar as Lord. And by not recognizing Caesar as the Lord, they were regarded as rebellious people. But here Paul had an opportunity while in prison to give a defense, to explain what Christians believe, to say that our kingdom is not of this world. And our king is not of this world. Caesar is of this world. His kingdom is of this world. But we have a greater king. He's in heaven. And he rules all the nations. And even the emperor himself is under the reign of our king of kings. But Paul had this opportunity because he was there in prison. So Paul says, well, I praise the Lord that I'm here because this has given me an opportunity to preach the gospel. And because of that, other brothers as well have been encouraged to go and preach the gospel too. Then notice the second group was that that was preaching the gospel, not with good intentions, but with bad intentions or malicious intentions. And we see that in verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, these are the people who didn't like Paul for some reason. We don't know why. But notice that they preached the true gospel. What they were preaching was not false gospel. They were preaching the true gospel. But their intentions and motives were not good. They knew that Apostle Paul loved to preach the gospel, to go from one place to another to plant churches. This is what Paul loved most. And now that freedom had been taken away from Paul. He was no longer free to go and preach and plant churches across the world. And because of that, they wanted to cause Paul to be envious, to become green with envy as he sees or hears that they are going about preaching while he's not able to do so. I think some of us might identify with that. You know, uh, for some reasons, when you're not able to do something that you love, and you see others doing that, you, you are tempted to be envious. I wish I was able to do that. Think of people who are into sports. Maybe because of an injury, they are not able to play. They are sitting there on the bench. And they see their friend playing, and he's not doing even a good job. And they're thinking, I wish I was in there. I would have done a good job, a better job. This is what they had hoped that Apostle Paul would feel. As he's in prison and they are going about preaching, Paul will become envious. But that's not what happened. Actually, Paul says, I praise the Lord that they are preaching the gospel, even though their intentions 
are not right. So even through that, the, the gospel is still advancing in a greater way. And please notice the amazing response of Apostle Paul. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I rejoice because it's not about me. I rejoice because it's about Christ. And as long as Christ is honored, Christ is glorified, no matter the intentions behind that work of glorifying Christ, I will rejoice. Now, friends, one major application for us this morning. We might not be in prison, and I know that because we are all here this morning. But it could be that we are passing through some kind of a trial. I don't know what, I don't know what it might be. You know your trials very well. You know your hardships very well. But how are you responding or reacting to that trial, suffering, hardship? Are you, so to speak, seeing a half-full glass or half-empty glass? Are you constantly grumbling and complaining before God and man? This is unfair. Why me, God? Why have you forsaken me? Or are you focusing more and being joyful and being thankful to God? Now, please get me right. I'm not saying that we should put on a plastic smile and pretend that all is well, even when we are going through pain. That's not what I'm saying. But rather, what I'm saying is that despite the trials in this life, the Lord supplies us joy by working out good things out of our trials. And in terms of expressing what we are feeling, the truth about our own feelings. We see that again and again in the book of Psalms, don't we? The psalmist goes before God and he tells God what is in his mind. He tells God, this is hard. Actually, he tells God, you are slow to act. Why are you taking so long to act in my situation? Lord, why have you forsaken me? It seems you have forsaken me. I don't, I'm not experiencing your presence in my life. That is perfectly fine. We can do that before our God in humility and reverence. But you're going to notice that after the psalmist has done this, it often ends with expression of trust. But I will trust in you. And that's how we should react, friends. Knowing that no matter how hard our situations are, as long as we are in Christ, the Lord is able to do good things out of that. That the Lord is able to advance the gospel even through our trials. And really, when things are hard like that, what we need to ask is, Lord, what are you trying to accomplish through this? In what ways, Lord, would you like to use this to advance the gospel through my life? This is how we cultivate the joy that Paul mentions in verse 18. This is how we can rejoice 
when we realize that joy does not depend on our circumstances. It depends on our sound theology. To know and believe that no matter how hard and painful our situations are, Christ means well, and he's always, always working for our good. And he's always working for the good of his church. You know, when I was, I was coming here, I stopped by in Ohio, and I was meeting brothers there, and the pastor there was just sharing a story of his daughter who died last year, aged 16 years, due to cancer. And as he was sharing the story, it was so touching, so moving, and that through that trial, as she was going through the process of receiving treatment, cancer, she would share her experiences and her trust in the Lord. And when she passed, one of the ladies who was following her and her story came to believe in Christ from the Roman Catholic Church and became a Christian. And, and, and as she was sharing, he says, you know, this is hard. This, this was very hard. But one thing that I can rejoice in is to know that at least one person through the trial that my daughter went through and we as a family went through, one person came to know Christ. And the gospel advanced through that trial. And this is what Apostle Paul reminds us, doesn't he? In Romans 8, verse 28, For we know that for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for their good. And it is by reflecting on the sweetness of God's providence that we cultivate more joy in our lives. So that we may say with Apostle Paul, yes, it is hard, it is painful, but still I will rejoice because greater good is coming out of my situation. And this is similar to what God did through the cross about 2,000 years ago. Is it not? God chose the foolishness and the pain of the cross to accomplish our greater and wonderful salvation. Through the darkness of that Friday afternoon came the joy of Sunday morning. And beginning from that Sunday morning up until now, the gospel is advancing to the ends of the earth through the pain and suffering of that cross. The Lord did it through his son. And he's doing it again and again through his children on this earth. So friends, I would like to encourage you to look at your situation, those trials, and see the greater good that the Lord is accomplishing through that. And praise him and rejoice in that. So that you can say like Apostle Paul, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you how, Lord, you work in our lives, even those difficult and hard trials that come our way. May you help us, Lord, to trust in you, and to glorify you in that, knowing that no matter how hard it is, you are still accomplishing your greater good.
and to rejoice in knowing that you always mean well. We thank you, Lord, for your providence. In Jesus' name, amen.